Brian. Brian, you're right there. I was making sure you were back in here. And we're excited. I'm delighted and excited to have this brother with us. And he goes all over the area, and I'm sure he'll tell you all about the things that he does. But he was at a church the night that I texted him a few weeks ago sharing on this very topic. So let's pray and turn things over to Brian. Father, we thank you that you're a good God, and you've watched over us not only today, but this whole week leading up to now. So, Lord, we pray that your anointing would be here that, Father, your presence would be here with us, that, Lord, you would anoint my brother Brian with the presence of the Holy Spirit to teach the Word of God and and the truth of God's Word, Father, tonight. We thank you for him and his ministry, and I thank you for the folks that are here tonight. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Brother Brian. Thank you. I've got one. Thank you. All right. Good evening, church. Thank you so much for having me here. Hey, I'm Brian. Thank you so much for that warm introduction, Pastor. So glad to be here. Um, Tell you a little bit about us. Uh, Our ministry is called Early Earth Educators, and the whole purpose of our ministry is to show people that the Bible and science agree. Not that they just agree some of the time or most of the time. We believe that the Bible and science always agree 100% of the time because God, as you know, is God of the scriptures. He is also God over all of creation. And when we're studying science, all we're really doing is studying God's creation. Whether we're looking through a microscope or looking through a telescope, if we're looking at something that God made, we're doing science. If we're studying his creation, we're studying his, what what he has made, and that's just science. So it's not bad. It's not scary. And one of our missions is to show believers, is to encourage believers to not be afraid of science that you can totally embrace the Word of God from the very first verse all the way through the last verse and totally trust it because it's totally true from beginning to end. It's the infallible Word of God. And you don't need to be afraid of science because God does not contradict himself. So our, our mission is to evangelize the lost. We want everybody to know that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. We also want to encourage people like you. I assume most everybody in this room is a believer. We want to encourage the laity Normal Christians who may have heard, probably have heard many times, that science has contradicted or disproven the Bible. We want to encourage you to believe that's not to know that's not true. On the contrary, science actually confirms the scriptures. We want to equip leaders like your pastor with resources and information so they can also teach the same, right? That the Bible and science agree, and here is some evidence as to how they do. And ultimately, in everything we do, we want to exalt the Lord. That's our mission. Uh, Just so you know, uh, I have a Master's of Divinity. Uh, That's a fancy way of saying I am a Bible nerd. (laughs) My wife has a Master's in a science. She's a science nerd, but she makes nerd look good. Uh, She actually has a Master's degree in uh, geology. So uh, Christian, husband, father, teacher, author, I have my books here. And like I said, Bible nerd, my wife... Christian, wife, mother, teacher, netter, and science nerd. Uh, She couldn't be with us here tonight. Typically, we're together tonight. She's actually visiting our kids and uh, our first ever grandchild up in Montana right now. So we wanted to make sure we made that a priority. So she's not here tonight, but I'll uh, I'll brag on her in her absence. Uh, What do we believe, though? We believe that God made everything in six days. And when we say six days, we're not playing games with that word days. We don't mean a thousand years or a million years, Ah, a thousand years like a day. We don't mean that. We mean six 24-hour days, just like this day that we're in right now. By the way, did you know that this is John 3.16 day? 
I, I just heard that on the radio. It's March, which is the third month, and it's the 16th. So happy John 3.16 day. I, I didn't know that until I heard it on the radio. So, But we believe that just like this is a 24-hour day, that God made everything in six 24-hour days. We believe that happened about 6,000 years ago, not billions of years ago. And we believe that the theory of evolution, which is our topic for tonight, the unscientific theory of evolution, we believe that never actually happened. We don't believe that we evolved, and we believe it's just a false, uh, very unscientific theory. Now, when I say that to some people, here's what they think about me. They think that I'm just ignorant, that I've got my, uh, should I move the microphone up or down? Or are you going to, you got it? Okay. They think that I just, you know, have my fingers in my ears, I'm not listening to logic, and I'm just going, la, 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 and I don't want to hear the truth. Well, it's kind of a weird thing to say about me because I haven't always believed this. These aren't my old religious beliefs and my old ways that I'm stuck in. I actually used to be an atheist. I believed that God wasn't real, and I believed that the universe came into existence all on its own, through the Big Bang and through natural processes after that. That's what I used to believe. I also used to believe that not that the earth is 6,000 years old, but that the earth is billions of years old. I was told that, and I believed it. I also believe that you and I have monkeys in our family tree. (laughs) Now, based on your experiences with your last Thanksgiving dinner, having relatives over, maybe you do believe you have monkeys in your family tree. I won't won't touch that. That's up to you. But, But I used to really believe in evolution. They taught it to me in school. They taught it to me through National Geographic, and I thought it was true. And I used to believe that wearing neon green shirts with hot pink swim trunks and Napoleon Dynamite hair was cool. That was me about 30 years ago, 30 years ago. Three, not three, yeah, maybe three, no, three, zero, three, zero. Now, isn't it cool that we have the ability to change our beliefs? My wife is very glad I've changed all those beliefs. I don't believe those things anymore. So it's actually after studying that I changed my mind on those things. You've, of course, heard about people who were raised in the church, gone off to college, and then they changed from being a Christian to a non-Christian, right? From being a believer to a skeptic. Well, actually, it was in college when I changed my beliefs about these things. I, well, first of all, I accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's the first biggest, most important thing. But even after I did that, I still had questions. I still didn't know. This whole evolution thing, is it real? How does it fit in the Bible? You know, billions of years, how does that fit in the Bible? I had these questions. Even after being a believer, I didn't know some things, and I really was, conf- I was, I was confused about it. But after studying and after researching, then I changed from old earth to young earth, from believing in evolution to not believing in evolution. And there's many people like that. So it's not fair, is it, to call everybody on our side of this discussion ignorant. Many of us have spent a lot of time, in my case, literally thousands of hours, uh, studying, researching, talking about these things. Secondly, there's a second stereotype. People like you, Brian, are just anti-science. You hate science, right? You're scared of science. You don't like science. And, uh, you know, Christians are anti-science. That's a stereotype. Well, that's a weird thing to say because maybe you've heard of some of these guys who were scientists and Christians. Copernicus, uh, he was no slouch, right? Descartes, Mendel, Louis Pasteur, uh, Galileo, just to name a few ignorant, right, anti-science people in the past who were Christians. Obviously, we've had many, many, many brilliant scientists over the years who are also Christians. 
And it's really weird to call me anti-science because, I'll tell you why, because I love science. I'm not a scientist, but I love science. Ask me how much I love science. How much do you love science? Really glad you asked that. I love science so much, I married a scientist. Don't know too many guys who can say that, do you? Mrs. Norman, who's not here today, Virginia's her name, is a scientist. And she hates it when I brag about her in front of people. She's too modest, so this is really good for me because she's not here to listen, so I can brag all I want. When she was in high school, she got the highest score possible on the advanced placement biology exam. Most students can't take advanced placement biology in high school. It's college bio. Ninety-some percent can't even take it. Those few who do, many don't pass the exam. And of those who do pass the exam, very few get the highest grade possible. She was the first student in her big public high school ever to have gotten the highest grade on the exam. No slouch. Went on to University of Florida, studied microbiology. Later on, went back to UF, got a master's degree in geology. She actually did radiometric dating. You might know it by carbon dating. That's slightly different, but she did radiometric dating, where she actually dated the ages of rocks. If you ask her today, how old is the Earth? She won't tell you billions of years old. She will tell you eh, about 6,000 years old. She's actually done that thing about radiometric dating. And by the way, she's not here to answer your questions, but I do have a free handout for you that she wrote, very simple to understand, about that whole topic of dating rocks, carbon dating, radiometric dating. If you want some information, just ask. I have it at the table there. Free for you if you want information about, about that topic. Anyway, she's also a science teacher. She's taught many, many different subjects, biology, chemistry, and the rest. Very smart. Not... All scientists are evolutionists. Not all scientists believe in billions of years Earth. Many scientists believe exactly what I believe. It's not anti-science to believe the things that I am supporting here today. Just want to make sure we're all clear on that. So, to make sure we're clear on that, let's make sure we know what science actually is. In order for something to be a scientific fact, by the way, the word science is a Latin word. It means knowledge. When you say the word science, what you're really saying is knowledge. Do you actually know something? So for something to be a scientific fact, something that we know to be true, it has to be two things. And here's where you get to participate. You've already been good participators, by the way. So say these two words after me. Say observable. observable. Now say repeatable. repeatable. Say that second word one more time. Repeatable. I see what you did there. Okay, good. All right. So if something is observable, and repeatable, then we can call it, and only then can we call it a scientific fact, something that we know for sure is true. When I do a presentation like this for a youth group, I typically have a table set up with three water bottles, a little bit of water in the bottom of each bottle, and I say, students, I have a, I have a hypothesis. I believe that none of you in this room can flip a water bottle Anybody like to test my hypothesis and like a 25 hands go up, you know, because they all want to show me that they can. And so I, I call three people up, stand up, they're like, I got 60 seconds. I bet you can't flip a water bottle more than once, ready, set, go. And they all start flipping, and sure enough, every single one of them can flip that bottle at least two or three or four or five times in a minute. So what have we just done? We've just done a scientific experiment. I produced a hypothesis. Nobody can do this. Let's see if you can. We just observed them doing it. They repeated the process. Three people did it. Boom. We just proved my hypothesis wrong. 
yes, we can flip a water bottle. We observed it, and we just repeated it. That's a simple example of science. If you can see it or detect it with one of your senses, at least, and repeat it, then you can call it a fact. There are two big areas, however, where we can't. There we go. Okay, that's what I meant to put up. If anything is observable and repeatable, it's a scientific fact. Anything that is not observable and repeatable is not a fact, but a, what's that bottom word? It's a belief. Might be true, might not be true. We've not proven it. Maybe we can't prove it, but it's a belief, not a fact, so we don't actually know. Two huge areas where we don't have scientific facts. We only have beliefs. One is very obvious. It's the future. Do we presently have any scientific facts about what's going to happen tomorrow? We have guesses. We have hypotheses. We have things that we hope are going to happen tomorrow, things we hope won't happen tomorrow. But do we actually have facts? Not yet. Haven't observed it yet, right? Can't have those facts till we actually get there. Science is something that has to take place in the present tense, in the physical realm. And if we're not there yet, we don't have any facts. That's pretty obvious, right? Another area, slightly harder for some people to understand, is the distant past. When we go back in time, I don't mean three months or three years or even 300 years, but when we go way back in time, I mean way back, before we had eyewitnesses, before we had written accounts, even before we had VHS tapes. I mean, really far back, right? Okay, so when we go way back in time, we don't have scientific facts. We, have no, we, have, we can't observe what happened way back then. We can't repeat the process. We have no eyewitnesses. We don't know. When it comes to the distant, distant past, we only have beliefs. Our beliefs might be right, might be wrong. We don't know, do we? It's outside the realm of science. So science is great when it comes to stuff you can test in the physical realm, in the present. Science can't help us at all if we're outside of that realm. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So let's make sure we understand. This is a cave drawing. What's that a cave drawing of? Bull, buffalo, bison, cow, something like that. Some kind of bovine creature. Okay. How many years old do you think this is? I'll take guesses. Throw out a number, somebody. How old is this thing? 3,000. Good guess. Somebody else. 5,000, another good guess. One more guess? 1,200, good guess. I got 1,200, 5,000, 3,000. Quite a range. What did all, but what is common about every one of those numbers? Every one of those people just simply did what? They guessed. They guessed. Now, if you see a quote, and very good for the person who just said 3,000, and the, and the quote says, this cave drawing, or you hear, or you hear, this is usually how it goes, you hear somebody on TV, right, and this person has a really good, thick British accent. They sound so intelligent with that British accent, right? And they'll say, this cave drawing is 3,800 years, and we know this because blah, 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 right? Okay, well, all right, now think about it. For something to be a scientific fact, this is something that we know, it has to be what two things? What's the first one? It starts with an O. Observable. It has to also be what? Repeatable. So for that intelligent-sounding narrator with the British accent who says this cave drawing is 3,800 years old, for him to actually know that, how, how old would he probably have to be? Give it a minimum 3,804, right? Just, you know, memories don't really form until that time. So, so yeah, I, I don't think he's that old, Okay. 
or he'd at least have to know a credible witness who was in that cave when that cave drawing was drawn, right? He didn't observe that. Nobody did. Actually, somebody did. God did, of course. But who is the only other person besides God who actually knows how old that thing is? The person who drew it. Thank you very much. We have an intelligent crowd, Pastor. You you trained them well. Well, guess what? There is a person in this room who knows the answer. It's eight years old. Because I'm the caveman. Ugh. Now, don't laugh at my cave drawing. It's my first cave drawing ever, and that cave all is bumpy, okay? It's harder than it looks. But anyway, just because we see a drawing on a wall does not mean that it's thousands of years old, and it doesn't mean that some guy with a club over his shoulder drew it. It just means somebody drew a picture on a wall. And if you go into a cave today, guess what you'll find? Modern-day graffiti written in English. People still go into caves. They have some actually pretty cool houses that people are building inside caves. I made the mistake of showing those to my wife online, like, look at these fancy houses people have inside caves these days. She goes, ooh, I want one of those. Never mind. I don't want to live in a cave. But people still go inside caves and draw pictures. It's not a big deal. It doesn't mean that it's thousands of years old. Could be, but we don't know that. All right, so you guys, you're tracking along pretty well here. All right. So fact and belief, we've got to set this up before we go to evolution, just to make sure we understand. So there are facts, these are things we can prove, and there are beliefs, things that might be true, but we can't prove them, right? So here's a quote, ready? The last dinosaur died 65 million years ago. You tell me, is that a fact or a belief? That's a belief. Maybe you're catching the color coding going on, right? Green is fact, red is belief. But I think maybe you figured that out even without that. Because for somebody, and this is what they say all the time, kids' dinosaur books, textbooks, whenever you hear almost anything about dinosaurs, that's like the first thing they say, blah, 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 millions of years ago. For somebody to actually know that, how old would they have to be? Now, some of those guys are old, but they're not that old. Nobody witnessed the last dinosaur dying know for sure the last dinosaur did die for that matter. I don't think there's dinosaurs roaming around, don't get me wrong, but to actually know that, you have to observe it. They don't know that. They're guessing that. That's their belief. They're welcome to it, but it's just a belief. All right, let's do, let's do one more of these. This guy, most of you, many of you might be old enough to remember this guy. He's the original Cosmos guy. N- not the new Cosmos guy, but the original one, Carl Sagan prominent atheist. He, he wasn't like some of the modern atheists. He was polite. He was genteel. But, but still, uh, what he would do is in the middle of his science shows, he'd have lots of scientific facts, good stuff on astronomy. But then in the midst of it, he would say something like this. He would say the cosmos, meaning the physical universe, is all there is or ever was or ever will be. Now think about that. He's saying, what he's saying is there's no God, no heaven, no afterlife, just the physical universe. That's what he's saying. The cosmos, the universe, is all there ever was. How old would he have to be to know that? Infinity past. Or ever will be? 
Remember what we said about the future, right? So the only person, so is that a fact or a belief? Belief. Obviously, right? Who is the only being in the universe who could actually know that? For him to state that, he's really saying he has godlike knowledge, right? I know exactly what happened for eternity past and for eternity future. There's no God. What, What an arrogant statement. Is that science? No. Now, he was a brilliant scientist. He's dead now. He was very smart in science. I don't discredit him that. Science is good. But that's not a scientific statement. That is a bombastic, not bombastic, but it's a very in-your-face, unadulterated religious statement. What he's saying is, atheism is my religion. That's what he's saying right there. Fine. He's welcome to that. But that's not science. So don't embed it in the middle of a science program and make people think that's a scientific fact. You see the problem? That's, he has a right to his belief, but he doesn't have a right to push it off as if it's a scientific fact. It's just his belief. Now, it gets worse. Modern atheist right here. This guy's last name is Krauss. I don't even want to read out loud what he said because it's so blasphemous, but I'll let you read it. Can you read that? You see, he believes, he believes that billions of years ago, stars exploded, and the stuff of the stars eventually formed the planets, ours included, and that eventually, over natural processes and millions and millions of years, the stuff, the chemicals in the ocean formed into the first life. Nobody can explain how that happened because we've never seen it happen, but they say it formed into life, and that life eventually developed and evolved and eventually became human beings after millions of years. So... Jesus didn't die for your sins. He says the stars died so you could be here today. That is a very, is that a, is that a scientific statement? He wasn't there billions of years ago. He doesn't know that. He believes that. And you might know Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's the modern cosmos guy. And he believes the same thing that Mr. Krauss does. He says, you, me, everyone, we are made of star stuff. Okay. He didn't see stars explode. He believes it. He has a right to say it and believe it. But please don't tell us that's a scientific fact. Mr. Tyson, it is not. Um, it's his belief. Uh, he said one more thing here, and this is, this is moving into our topic now finally for the night. Making sure we know the difference between fact and belief. We'll now move into the topic of evolution. Here's what he says about evolution. He says the theory of evolution, like the theory of gravity, is a scientific fact. Now, I think we can do a pretty easy experiment here. For something to be a scientific fact, what's the word that starts with an O? What's the word that starts with an R? Hmm, gravity, let's see. Pay attention. Don't don't you love plastic instead of glass? That was one, let's do it again. You all saw that, right? Observable, repeatable, I think gravity is probably a scientific fact. Now, he says that's just as obvious, or evolution is just as obvious as that. Let's see if he's right. Let's see if indeed evolution is as observable and repeatable as the theory of gravity. Well, sadly, many of our textbooks that your kids and grandkids are reading talk about evolution as if it is a scientific fact. They teach a lot of facts in those books, but they also teach a lot of belief about evolution. Here's what I mean. Charles Darwin, 
you all know his name. By the way, what, what was the name of his, of his most famous book? Origin of Species is what everybody says. It's not the full title. This is the full title. The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored what? Races, favored races in the struggle for life. Did you know that he believed in favored races? He talks about that in another one of his books, a less famous book called The Descent of Man, also by Charles Darwin, where he talks about the Caucasian race dominating and becoming more superior, being more superior than the other races. He talks about that in his book. Now, I don't believe that all evolutionists believe that. I don't think most modern-day evolutionists believe that, but that is something that Darwin believed, just so you know. Uh, that's kind of a, it's a whole different topic. We won't get into it, but we do have another presentation that we do called the simple one-sentence solution to all racial tension. The Bible has the answer for that, and science has confirmed that answer. It's the same answer. We won't get into race tonight, but I just wanted you to know that's the full title of his book. Anyway, Charles Darwin, though I disagree with almost everything he says about evolution, I do agree with one thing he said about evolution, and it's this. He said get to the quote. There it is. This is Charles Darwin. He said, by my theory, notice he is recognizing it's a theory, not a fact. By my theory, innumerable, that's a big number. Everybody say innumerable. innumerable. That's a number so big you can't count it. He says, innumerable transition fo- transitional forms must have existed. Now let's stop. What does he mean by transitional forms? What he means is, that everything between a pure primate, like a monkey, and a total human being, like we have sitting in this room today, everything in between the monkey and the man would be a transitional form. Now, this chart is a very, 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 very abbreviated chart because back to what he said, he said, not just those 10 or 12 you saw, but how many transitional forms would have to be there? Innumerable. More than you can include on a slide, more than you can fit in this room, more than if you had a, a chart, it would extend from here down to Miami, right? It would be a very, very, very long chart because according to evolution, changes are very, very, very gradual. You can't notice them over hundreds of years. You need millions of years for it to happen. So he's saying innumerable forms, far more than we could picture right here today, must have existed, okay? He goes on to ask the question, why do we not find them embedded in countless numbers? How many numbers? Countless. countless numbers in the crust of the earth. I think that's a very fair question. If evolution really happened, took millions and millions of years, we should be finding millions and millions and millions of bones in the ground. Back when he wrote this, they weren't finding those. That was the 1860s, 1850s, 1860s. 1870s, they're digging. They're still not finding them. 1880s, they're digging them. They're still not finding them. 1890s, digging, not finding them. By the way, they're finding lots of dinosaur bones. No transition species, though. Remember how long ago dinosaurs were supposed to have died? 65 million years ago. We're the youngest of the the most recent dinosaurs. Not my numbers, their numbers. They said 65 million plus is when the dinosaurs died transition species only three, four, or five million years ago. If we can find stuff that died 65 million years ago, why can't we find stuff that died three or four million years ago? Should be a lot closer to the surface, right? 
You know, you know they, they have found over a thousand dinosaur bones just in one dig site in Montana. One dig site, over a thousand bones. We have lots of dinosaur bones. You keep finding them. You might find a dinosaur bone. 1890s, no transition bones between apes and humans. 1900s, no bones. Finally, oh, before I say finally, somebody should ask this question of an evolutionist. Say after me, where are all the bones? It's a fair question, right? Finally, somebody found something. All right, this is good news for them. Sussex, England, 1912, they found Piltdown Man. Now, when we say they found Piltdown Man, please understand, they didn't find a complete skeleton. They didn't find half a skeleton. They didn't even find a full skull. They found portions of a skull. We're getting to that, by the way. I heard heard that. We're getting to it. Portions of a skull and a jaw is what they found. Not even a complete jaw and skull. And then as years went by, this is a big deal, right? Made the news, you know, evolution proven true, blah, blah, blah. It was big news, New York Times, everything. But, but as they did some testing on these things, years later when they had the technology to do it, here's what they found, that after intensive study, the remains showed that they were part of a modern human skull, no more than 600 years old, so like in the 1400s, right? And... Somebody had combined it, somebody who found that, combined it with the tooth of a chimpanzee and uh, the jaw and teeth of an orangutan. They even went so far as to scrape, uh, scrape with a, take a file and they scraped it to make it look like it was more ape-like than it was human. Somebody actually doctored up this thing and combined parts so they could say, look what I found, a transition form. And to this day evolutionists have egg on their face because of Piltdown Man, because they all realize it's a hoax. These aren't just creationists who say this. Everybody says Piltdown Man was a hoax. Sorry, false alarm, not true. No such thing as Piltdown Man. Oh, and here's the New York Times, by the way, back then. This is 1912, December 22nd. Darwin theory proved true. And I thought fake news was just a modern thing. (laughs) This is going on back in 1912. So, 1900s, no bones. A great question for an evolutionist is what? Where are all the bones? They should be there. Darwin said they should be there. All right, well, the 1920s came along and they finally found some again. They found Nebraska man. Hey, do you know where they found Nebraska man? You guys have studied this before, haven't you? Very good. Well, Nebraska man was a huge deal. Now they put him in the, this is the 1920s, they put him in the textbooks, they were, and that became a big deal. They had the Scopes monkey trial because of that. You've heard of that, right? Big deal. Shall we or shall we not teach evolution to school kids? Well, the, the verdict of the Scopes monkey trial sadly was, yes, we should teach evolution to kids in schools. This was 100 years ago. They actually used Nebraska man as evidence in that trial to show that evolution is true. Well, that that went on for about 10 years until more evidence came out that when they found Nebraska man, they didn't really find a full man. They didn't really find even half of a man. You're seeing a pattern here, aren't you? They didn't find even a full skull. You know what they found? Not even a full jawbone. They found one tooth. They drew pictures of Nebraska Man. 
Now, you've got to be a really good police sketch artist to know what a guy looks like after just finding one of his teeth. They drew pictures of the guy's wife. You've got to be a really, really good sketch artist to know what the guy's wife looks like by finding just one of his teeth. And this was in textbooks. This was evidence for a trial, for crying out loud. So they keep digging. They find more teeth that belong to this thing. And once they examine all the teeth, they find out still, still no skeleton, just teeth. But even with the teeth, they eventually found out, oh, wait, this isn't a man after all. They were the teeth of an extinct wild pig. This was court evidence. I, I, this, this is 40 years. This is 60 years after Darwin's theory came out. I, what's a great question for an evolutionist? I hope you ask one that question someday because that's a fair question. This is supposed to be science, right? Okay, so 1930s, 1940s, I mean, they find a jawbone here or, you know, part of a shin bone there, part of a skull here, but nothing, you know, but, but there's plenty of, you know, human remains in the ground and, and uh, animal remains, but, but certainly no complete skeletons, nothing that is indisputable evidence. Hey, what about this part of the skull? This could be, you know, this could be, how many, how many bones did Darwin say should be in the ground? Innumerable. Innumerable. We have found complete dinosaur skeletons. Dinosaurs are huge. They can't find a single complete skeleton of any of these transition species that existed for millions and millions of years? Come on. Finally, in the 1970s, they found something. They found, well, the fancy name is Australopithecus afarensis. Now, if you say that with a British accent, you'll, found, you'll sound very intelligent. So say after me, ready? Australopithecus. Afarensis. You sound very intelligent. But most people just call her Lucy. Okay, so... When I was in ninth grade, still not a believer, subject to the teachings of the public school system and National Geographic and Cosmos and shows like that, I believed what my teacher told me, as most students probably do. And I believed what she said when she said that Lucy was my ancestor. She told me that Lucy was her common ancestor. There's a picture of Lucy in a museum right there. You can maybe see the wording on the the placard that says the human story begins. This is our relative right here, right? That's what I was taught as a child in school, and that's what I believed. So I was taught that Lucy's our ancestor. I saw pictures of Lucy with very human-looking eyes. By the way, uh, no modern-day apes have uh, whites of their eyes that you can see. Uh, humans do, of course. Apes do not. You just see brown and black. But, but they draw pictures of Lucy with the, very, with the whites of the eyes, kind of looking up as if she's thinking about something. Ah, pictures of Lucy with human-looking eyes and a nice smile. Again, I want you to be thinking about fact versus belief as you're looking at these slides here. What's the difference? Textbooks and magazines showed pictures of Lucy and her family. Okay, she's holding her baby there like a, like a good mom would, right? Looking off in the distance, she's thinking about something. And... Um, and uh, People were very excited. This was found like in 1973 in the 70s and 80s. This was big news. Uh, BBC Online says that um, she was one of the most important fossils ever discovered. Now, we have a lot of fossils. Remember, a thousand dinosaur bones just in one site have been found. We have thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of fossils. You can go outside here in Florida and find coral fossils. It's easy. Fossils are everywhere in the ground. But this fossil was one of the most important 
ever discovered. Huge emphasis on Lucy right here, right? Okay. So just so you you understand, this is a really big deal for evolutionists. Finally, I got to meet Lucy. I even brought her with me today. I have an exact replica of Lucy. Would you like to see her? I'm so glad you said yes, because if you hadn't, I don't know what I would do right now. I also brought my lunch, too, because pastor said I could preach, preach for three hours. So, No, actually, I... Yep, that's it. No, I'm not actually kidding. What I just dumped out of my brown paper bag lunch sack is a bone-for-bone, piece-for-piece, exact replica of the Lucy skeleton. The real one is in Ethiopia. There's a picture of it on the screen. Lucy is actually nothing more than 47 monkey bones. That's it. That most important fossil ever discovered to prove evolution, you're looking at the entire replica of it right there on that table. That is it. To do a deeper analysis of it, uh, just to be clear about the coloring here, the brown that you see in this picture is all they actually found of the skull and the jaw. The white parts, since they haven't found those, remember to be scientific, has to be observable, repeatable. The white parts, therefore, are not fact. They're just what? Belief. Belief. My skeleton, my replica is white. That is the exact thing as the brown. So don't, get the, don't let the colors confuse you. But on this slide, the brown is real. The white is just belief. The size and shape of the skull bones are similar to a chimpanzee or a modern-day bonobo, which is a monkey that lives in Africa. Her imagined human appearance is just belief. Judging by the bones that we do have, which are not all of them, we only have about 40% of them, judging by the bones we do have, her body was about three and a half feet tall. How many of you adults in here are three and a half feet tall? That would be precisely zero. Well, chimpanzees are about three and a half feet tall, I'm just saying. About the size of a chimp. Now, the few finger bones that we found are curved like a chimpanzee's, good for climbing. There are definitely similarities between a chimp's hand and a human hand. Uh, My reason for that is not because humans came from chimps, but because humans and chimps have a common designer. If you create something, be it a picture or, you know, you're a knitter or any, if you make anything, right, you, the common designer, are going to have a common trait throughout the different things you make, right? If you build things, the things you build will look kind of similar because you are a common designer to those things. We have a common designer. He likes to give his creatures two eyes, and one nose, and one mouth, and two hands, etc. He's very, he does that a lot, right? It doesn't mean that one comes out of the other. If you draw two pictures and they look alike, that I don't conclude that one picture came out of the other picture. I conclude it has a common designer, a common artist, right? So yes, we have similarities, but we also have differences. And they're designed by the designer for different things. A chimp's fingers are designed for climbing trees, Ours are not. Ours are designed for texting on our phones. (laughs) Ask any teenager, they'll agree. Now, the wrist bones indicate that she walked on her knuckles. There's a locking mechanism in the knuckles of primates so that they can walk on their knuckles. Effectively, if you and I walk on our knuckles all day, two things will happen. We'll have bloody knuckles. We'll probably also break our wrists because they're not designed with a locking mechanism to do that. 
The knuckles on this creature apparently locked, though. Again, indicating she was probably some type of an ape. They never found any kneecaps. I'm sure she had them, but they haven't found them. They never found any feet. I'm sure there were feet, but they haven't found them. And yet, though they never found them, they draw pictures of Lucy walking upright with human feet. Now again, we don't have any ankles or feet or kneecaps, so we don't know what they looked like. So why would they draw a picture like that, do you think? I think because there's an agenda here, because they want us to think, some people want us to think that this is a half-ape, half-human creature that walked upright. Got to find some evidence to really show that. Though. Oh, this is good too, by the way. At least one of the bones didn't even belong to her. They found out 40 years later after research it belonged to a baboon. Makes you wonder if any other bones might not belong. By the way, the, it's, it's, it's not as easy as just digging the ground and saying, hey, look, a skeleton. When they, they found piece by piece, just, just teeny little pieces here and there, most of these bones aren't even complete bones. They're fragments of bones that they have to put back together and try and figure out. And Lucy, this one skeleton, was splayed across a hillside over <clears throat> several dozen feet. I think it was a couple hundred feet, actually to get the whole thing put back together. I mean, it was spread out. It was very disarticulated. Uh, we, don't, of course, don't know what happened, but it seems like the train that hit Lucy was going really fast because she was just all across this hillside. So, so that's one reason why they don't have all the bones. <clears throat> by, by the way, how, how many bones did, did Darwin say we should be finding? Innumerable. Innumerable. Okay, all right, just making sure. Uh, we have no skin samples. This is, you're looking at the whole thing right there. That's the whole thing. If you go to Ethiopia, look at the museum where they found her, that's what you'll see, the whole thing. No skin samples, no hair samples, no soft tissue samples. The facts are in green. The red is just belief. We have less than 40% of skeleton, far more that we don't know than what we actually do know. Again, we're talking science versus belief, right? Are you seeing the difference here? We don't even know what gender, quote, she, unquote, was. Here's a headline, Lucy or Brucey. It can be tricky to tell the sex of fossil ancestors. Really? Because when a baby is born, it's not tricky at all. Now, I know there's some people in the media right now who are very confused about gender, but normal people, most people know exactly what gender you are the moment they set eyes on you. It's probably the first statement that was ever made about you when you were born. Look, a boy, hey, a girl. It's easy. If they can't even tell the gender, how much do they really know? How much do they really know? You see how much belief is going into this stuff. We're, we're, we're all for science, but when we're talking about something that supposedly happened millions of years ago, and all you have are 47 bones, partial skeleton, how much do you really know? So with such a lack of evidence, why do people keep promoting evolution? Well, I, I think we should ask the founder of Lucy. If you want to go online and check out his video, you can. But the founder of Lucy, his name is Dr. Donald Johansson. He was invited to speak. I think this is on the 40th anniversary of Lucy or something like that. But he was invited to speak at the, get the name of this thing, the Freedom From Religion Conference. They've never invited me to speak at the Freedom From Religion Conference. I don't know why. I'm very offended. But anyway, he was speaking behind the podium at the Freedom From Religion Conference. It's obviously an atheist organization. And he said a few things about God. 
one of the things he said was that we definitely need to take, definitely should take God's name off of our money. He also put up some cartoons on the screen that were mocking God about how prayers go to God's spam mail. That's why he never answers them. He showed some other slides about how much science has accomplished over the years, and I agree science has accomplished a lot. And then he showed what prayer has accomplished, which is absolutely nothing. And he, according to him, and he also said that we should have a reverence for our true creator, Mother Nature. That's what he said. The founder of these bones, that's what he believes. He has a right to his beliefs. He has a right to expound on his beliefs, just like I am on mine right now. But please understand that people who promote this theory have an agenda. They believe something, and they really, really desperately want to believe it. I choose not to trust scientists who have a religious agenda. I choose about what happened supposedly millions of years ago or even thousands of years ago. I choose to trust the only one who was actually there. I choose to trust the one who was there. Why is it that I know how old that cave drawing is? I did it. I drew it. I was there. I'm the creator of that cave drawing. There's a, there's a sinister little side of me that hopes there's an evolutionist in that cave right now going, whoa, look at that 10,000-year-old drawing. But they weren't there, so they don't know. I do know because I was there. I choose to trust the one who was actually there. And I think it's really important that we understand our true ancestry. Let, let, let's be honest, right? How many of you, when you go through your, you know, your annual Bible reading plan or just any time you're reading the scriptures, if you're reading through a book and you come to one of those genealogies, that like First Chronicles has like eight chapters of just name after name after name after name. Let's be honest. How many of us have kind of gone really fast over those genealogies? Honesty time right now. Okay, I've done it too. I'm like, who are these guys? I don't know them. I don't know how to pronounce their names even. What? Why is God taking up pages of scripture with genealogies? Why do we care, right? We've been there. You've been there. I think I figured out one reason at least why God includes genealogies in the scriptures. We need to know our ancestry. We need to know where we come from. Is anybody in our society today struggling with identity? You think? Yeah. I, I think probably God foreknew that would happen. And I think one reason, at least, why he included genealogies is because he knew that we would need to know who we are, what our identity is, where we came from. So I'm going to read a portion of a genealogy here. It's from Luke chapter 3. And it's a backwards genealogy. This is, in other words, starting with the most recent person going back in time. So reading part of the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, I want you to catch this. Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was, as legally calculated, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, uh, the son of Mathat. And we're going to skip about 40 generations here, all the way back to Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, going further back in time, 
the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of Did you catch that? You are not just a son or daughter of Adam. You are a son or daughter of who? That's your ancestry. That's who you come from. You're not just of human origin. You're certainly not of monkey origin. But you're not just of human origin. You go all the way back, the genealogy says, to God. Everybody in this room is a son or daughter of Adam and Eve. We're in that line. And they come directly from God. That's our ancestry. You do not come from a pile of bones. This is not your distant relative. Your distant human relative is Adam, but the first one is God. That's who we come from. And I think people desperately need to hear that message. You were made, and this is how I like to end my presentations, by giving the gospel. I would imagine most everybody here has probably accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but I'm going to say it anyway if that's okay with you because I think it's so critical that we understand that every person in this room, every person you ever meet, is made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1, then God said, let us, reference to the Trinity there, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. You're made in the image and likeness of Almighty God so that we may rule over the creatures and fish of the sea, other birds of the air. We didn't come from monkeys. We were created completely distinct from monkeys and to have dominion over them as we're ruling the earth in ways monkeys never, ever possibly could. Next. Or we can just stay on the slide forever. That works too. Did I turn it off? Maybe God's telling me to read the whole verse. There we go. Okay. Your lineage goes back to God, but the family relationship was broken due to sin. God created mankind in his own image. Perfect, by the way. Can you imagine living on earth with perfect people? We're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth with perfect people. Thank God for that. But we can't hardly imagine that now. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. For this is the way. And because we, because we marred that relationship with sin, because we broke that relationship, that perfect relationship we had back in the garden with Adam and Eve and God, because that was broken, we had to have a way to restore ourselves to God. We couldn't do it on our own. So what he did is he sent his son. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you understand that you're loved so much by God? that he chose to put on flesh, come down, take all the yuck of humanity upon himself so that you could have that relationship restored. He didn't do that for primates. He didn't need to. They can't sin. You can. You have a choice. That's part of being made in God's image. In order to have the ability to love God, we also have to have the ability to hate God, reject God, right? Because we've chosen to reject him in our sins There had to be a way to restore us to him, and that's what he did. He gave Jesus Christ to us so we could have that relationship restored. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. And that is the message of the gospel, and that's the message that the world needs to receive. They need to hear, young people need to hear, 
really most people need to hear, that they are not just hapless, accidental, eventual descendants of monkeys. You know what's interesting? We tell kids that they're, that they're advanced animals, and then we criticize them and punish them when they act like it. Right? They're not animals. They're not animals. They're people made precious in the, in the image of Almighty God. Their ancestry is God. That's the message people need to hear. You're actually, and by the way, he's king of kings and lord of lords. So if he's the king and he's your father, what does that make you? Start, the two words start with P. If he's king and he's your father, you're a what? Prince and princess. So if you haven't accepted that salvation through Jesus right now, let me just say it's A, B, C, D, easy. A, admit you're a sinner. Are there any sinners in this room besides me right now? Okay, good. All right. I'm not alone. If you admit you're a sinner, that's the easy part, right? I, have, I actually did talk to a guy not too long ago who said, I, I, went, I tried to give him the gospel plan of salvation. I said, well, the first step is, A, admit you're a sinner. Are you a sinner? The guy's like literally like 80 years old. He said, no. Anyway, that, that, that was quite the interesting conversation, but I can't get into it now. But most people, 99% of people I talk to say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Good. Step one. Step two, B, believe that Jesus died for your sins. Some people trip over this one. But you've got to believe that. You've got to recognize that he came to save you. He was doing just fine as a member of the Trinity without having to take on human sins. But he came down, took that upon himself so that he could have you with him for eternity. If you believe that, then you confess your sins to him and say, God, I'm so sorry. It's not your fault. It's my fault. I sinned. I broke the relationship. I know you came to restore the relationship. Please forgive me of all my sins in Jesus' name. I don't want to die and pay for my sins. Would you please take them for me? And if you say that and mean that, you're just as saved as I am. And then we show him that we love him and that we really are part of that relationship by dedicating our lives to him. Because we owe him everything, right? I don't know about you, but I'm twice owned. If you make something, if you create something, who's the owner of that thing you create? You are, right? The creator. I'm created, so I'm owned by my creator. And I've been purchased by my creator. Not just with money, not just with gold, but with his blood. I'm twice owned. I own my life. So, if you'd be okay with this, I'd like to lead us in a prayer, and I would imagine most of you have already said this prayer, but if you don't mind saying it out loud right after me, um, I think it'd be good because then if anybody is in this room who hasn't yet said it, they can say it for the first time, they can give their lives to Christ, and they won't stand out because we'll all be saying it. How's that sound? Sound good? So I'm going to lead us in a prayer to admit, believe, confess, and dedicate. So if you'll say this with me, I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to wrap up with one other thing, and I'll close. So... Uh, If you can say after me, Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I am sorry for my sins. And I believe that you sent Jesus to put on flesh, to die for my sins, so that I, uh, in order to pay for my sins, so that I won't have to. Jesus rose from the dead, and if my sins are forgiven, I will rise from the dead also.
So please forgive me. Thank you for saving me. And help me to dedicate my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me tell you. Yeah, you can applaud right now because I don't know. If if anybody in this room just said that for the first time and meant it, then you are just as saved as your pastor is right here. So I thank God that he makes it that easy. He did the hard part. We get to do the easy part. Um, Listen, before we close up here, I'm going to stand up here at my table. Uh, I'll have the Lucy skeleton right there. If you want to come take a look at Lucy, by all means do that. Uh, Not not much to look at, but uh, we have it right there. For you to look at. I also have resources. I'm just going to talk for two minutes, if I may, about the resources. I'm going to go back over there. We do have, uh, as I mentioned, something free for you. Actually, we have two free things. Two free things. One uh, is a uh, is a handout here on radiometric dating. Many people call it carbon dating. Uh, carbon dating is actually just a type of radiometric dating, but I'm going to put these right here on the Lucy table. Uh, these are things that my wife wrote. She's a scientist again, who actually knows about this topic. <clears throat> because um, uh, she's actually done it. Uh, So you can read what she has to say about that free of charge. Also, I want to give you um, this brochure for free called Question Evolution, 15 Questions for Evolutionists. And I'm going to give this to you. If you will just come up to me and ask me one simple question, I'll be standing right there. Here's the question I'd like you to ask me. I I think you already know the answer. What? (laughs) You are good students. Okay. So if you'll come up and say to me, where are all the bones? I'll say, that's a great question for an evolutionist. Here's 15 more questions for an evolutionist. Um, so, uh, again, no charge for that. I, just, we, I like to have everybody leave with something in their hands that they can take home with them and say, wow, you know, I, this, this, I don't have to believe this nonsense. This is, just, this is just a theory. It's really a religious belief. Evolution is about our origins. Not a Christian religious belief but an atheistic, naturalistic, humanistic religious belief about where we came from. It's not science. You don't have to believe it. Um, and f- finally, I have lots of other resources up here. We have, uh, we have those green bags. They're called the Mega Packs. We have lots of resources inside of those if you want. If you really want a, a, a good, fixed, uh, thick bunch of stuff to take home on different topics, dinosaurs, evolution, carbon dating, you know, how do we see distant starlight from stars that supposedly are billions of years away? Just stuff like that is in the, is in the green bag, the mega pack. If you don't want to spend that much, don't need that much, we have a $5 t- uh, basket right there. The basket closest to Lucy is the $5 basket. Lots of DVDs, lots of booklets, different topics. All of them show different ways in which the Bible and science agree. That's a buy three, get one free. So for 15 bucks, you get four good resources. And if you don't want to spend that much, we even have a dollar bin on the far left by the shirts over there. Shirts are 20 bucks, by the way, but the dollar bin right next to it. Again, lots of topics, all of them showing different ways the Bible and science agree. One more thing, my books. Uh, if you're not really thick into science, but uh, you know somebody who likes to read fun books. Uh, again, I'm not the scientist of the, of the batch here. My wife is that. But um, I, like to, I like to write books that captivate the minds. And so uh, I've written an adventure-filled series, kind of like, uh, like Chronicles of Narnia. It's that type of a read. Who are they for? They're for um, believers like you uh, who maybe have heard a lot of false things, and you want to see ways in which the Bible and science agree. That's what these books are for. They're for people who might, might not be into science stuff, but they do enjoy a good novel. Uh, where you follow the lives of the characters. Actually, you get to go back in time in these books to life on Earth before the flood, before Noah. 
where um, you get to meet people who are 900 years old. How they live that long? Well, you find out along with the along with the the uh, actors, the, the the characters in the book. Dinosaurs living with people? That's not true, is it? Well, you get to find out how it actually was true as you read the books. So for believers, they're also good for skeptics. I used to be a skeptic. I have a big heart for young people who have been told lies, and they believe the lies, and they're distant from Christ because of that. So if you know uh, skeptics, young or old, uh, who might not read the Bible, they might not come to church with you, but they might read a fun book, it'd be a good thing for them. And finally, uh, I'm especially big heart for teenagers. I don't know know if you've been paying attention to what's on the bookshelves, targeted teens, but there's some wicked, wicked stuff out there. Stuff that promotes sorcery, witchcraft, kids killing other kids, uh, relationships romantically with vampires. I mean, just all kinds of filth is on the shelves, targeted um, to kids. And that's why I write these books, especially for, you know, middle schoolers and up who want to read something that's clean, that's Christian, and that, you know, activates the mind. They're fun, they're humorous, so I have those books. Um, if, you, if you buy both, you get a deal, you get a discount, and you get a free DVD along with them. Actually, any free thing from the basket you want. So get both books and a free item just for 35 bucks. And we do take debit, we do take credit, we take firstborn offspring, uh, we take whatever. Yeah. So anyway... All right, that's it. Um, Come see me at the table. Thank you so much uh, for having me here. I've really enjoyed this. You've been a great, responsive audience. I love that. And we are are early earth educators. And please remember, no matter what the topic is, the Bible and science always agree. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you, Brother Brian. Let's give another hand for Brian. Appreciate him being here. And I won't keep you. Uh, The Bible encourages us to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. So resources like what he has up here, and I encourage you to come up and take advantage of that. I literally had this thought. I didn't know he was specifically going to be teaching on evolution tonight, but I got in behind a car that was pulling into my neighborhood uh, just two days ago. I think it was Monday. And uh, they had, at first I thought it was one of the fish symbols, right? Has anybody seen one of the ones that say Darwin has a little feet? Well, I ran them off the road. No, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) I did get close enough to their bumper to see if it was a fish or a darn, but I had this thought. I genuinely had this thought. If I was ever able to lovingly start a conversation with somebody, how would I answer any questions that they had? So these are very important resources. And how many thank God for people that are smarter than you are? I do. Brian, I would say, is smarter than I am. So I thank him for being here and appreciate the ministry that he has. I want to bless you before you go. Father, I bless the people of Christian Center Church. I ask you to watch over and protect them. Put your mightiest and best angels around them and surround them with your goodness and mercy. May your face shine upon them. And God, as they go, may you give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed, church. Thank you for being here tonight. We'll see you Sunday if you're able to make it.